PGA Nation. We are back. Apologies, a little delay today getting started. A few minutes late, but we are still drafting. See, I can't make it tonight. David had a little surgery. He can't make it tonight. So you got me and Spence drafting against the audience. You know, I kind of like the three-man draft. Yeah, that's nice and smooth. Some good timing. I thought last week we had a really good week. Of course, I'm crowning the victor after the three-man draft. We didn't fully tally the Sunday finish, being honest, but I was winning after going into Sunday, so I'm counting it. Taking the win. I'm drafting first. Spence will be going second tonight. Audience, you'll be drafting in the three-hole. We're headed to Mexico. It's going to be an interesting tournament. Obviously, this is a weaker, way weaker field than uh, than last week and, and one of the weaker fields so far of the year. Uh, but that's okay. This is a this is a tournament that I think you can get a big edge on. There's definitely a profile of golfer that you want to target. And especially in these weaker fields, it kind of um, enables you to be more narrowed in on, on your player pool than maybe a typical week. So I think there's an edge. I think it's a good week for DFS. I'm excited to break it down. Spence, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I mean, we talked about this off air a little bit, but the last known victor of this contest would have been me going back to back. I know I relinquished that last week by not making the show, but if we're being fair here, it probably should have been me who had the number one pick, but I'm a team player, Joel. You can have the number one pick. I will sit in that second spot tonight and we can move forward in that way. But uh, I I thought there were a lot of interesting things about this tournament. You kind of said it best when you talked about this tournament. Uh, the number one note though, that I'd like to add to that is very interesting pricing this week. We finally got a golfer like Finau get way boosted up into the twelves. And you also have a bunch of $5,000 golfers. So from a game theory perspective, it changes things quite a bit in my opinion. I have to agree. It was really interesting. We've seen this once or twice before in the past, um, where they've done pricing like this. Do you think this is something that they're moving to, or is this something they do for these kind of watered-down events where it's a little bit of a lopsided player pool? I wish they would. Uh, my guess would be no. They're probably going to stick it to where they have it currently, but um, I think that this is great from a game theory perspective. It, it just changes the dynamic of builds exponentially when you look at it, and, and it's not like in this particular tournament we necessarily have a ton of value down there in the $5,000 section. There's so many players either making their first start or, or, or just names that we're not accustomed to seeing every single week. So, I mean, I think that's an interesting note to where the bottom of this is so watered down that there's not a ton of playability. But with that being said, I can find three or four guys in that $5,000 range that I think have real upside for this contest. So I uh, it does change the trajectory of builds, though, if nothing else. For sure. And I think for me, what I find interesting, especially in this type of tournament, is because it's a weaker field, yeah, obviously you want to play Tony Finau. There's a handful of guys that are just better than the field. But the reality is it's not a full field. Like once you get past the first, let's call it for conservative sake, eight to ten guys, to me, these guys are all very close. So if you can dip down to that 5K range and find a guy that's viable, that's a lot of savings. I don't think there's a full 2K worth of – difference between the 5k range and some of the size of the 7k range when they're all kind of guys that typically don't make the cut at a full event so um i think it's interesting and and to your point there's going to be a lot of game theory of how people choose to build you know are people going to be cramming in finau and then trying to play a lot of those guys down there or people going to go more balanced and is that the right approach that will be that is to be determined so 
the big thing for this week is going to be the course breakdown, right? What are we looking for? There's a profile of golfer that is going to stand out this week. Spence, what are you seeing at the Bay for Mexico? Yeah, I like I've talked about this throughout articles and on different podcasts. Like, as everybody knows, there's only been two iterations of this course that is that we have seen played on the PGA Tour. I am always hesitant when we have that lack of data. I tend to find it to be problematic. You can start building these preconceived notions, um, the limited sample size of returns. A lot of those things could become a problem, but I think you kind of just said it, Joel. Like, I don't know how you can look at this venue and not see the exact thing of what this is. There's wide open fairways. There's limited rough. That's going to turn it into this bomb and gouge setup. Uh, there is this exponential increase of second shots that come from over 175 yards. I do think that there are places that you can miss off the tee if you go incredibly wayward, but it, it essentially comes down to, can you use your driver as a weapon? And then are you able to take advantage of your long irons from a distance? So the first point to note from that answer, I would say, look at the sticky pass palm grass that removes a lot of the rollout from the equation off the tee. We do get an expected driving distance increase of 14 yards here over expectation. But I think when you take that and you mix it with the grass type factor here of that pass palm where you're not going to get the rollout and you also get this venue that's played at sea level, you're not able to out hit this venue. And that's one of the reasons why when you look at this, nearly 62% of second shots occur from beyond 175 yards. That's a total that would land over 22% above the PGA Tour average. Like essentially, if you're short off the tee, I think you're going to struggle to produce birdies. If you're longer, you're still going to need quality long iron play to actually find the opportunity to score. Um, but this is a two-step equation. Putting has been reduced a little bit here. This is a ball strikers venue at the end of the day. I tried to build ball strikers inside of my model. And as I said at the beginning of this recap here, when you have a sample size of only two tournaments, you have to be somewhat hesitant with it. But Joel, like, I mean, you can tell me if you see anything different. I don't know how you can look at this course and not just see the distance and see the long iron proximity. Like it's a two-step equation at the end of the day. I totally agree. And the one... The one area where I was referencing in the beginning of the show where I, think I might stray away from the long hitter thing is if it was a fuller field and there were some better talented guys that were just playing really well, right? Like a guy who's maybe not typically a long hitter, but just in really good form and he's top notch. Like it was kind of like JT last week. It wasn't his perfect profile course, but he's been playing so well. Obviously it didn't work out. He didn't, he didn't play well, but I was playing him because of how well he was playing. You're not going to get that type of guy here. Like there's nobody that's like, in just great form, it's top tening every tournament, and you just have to have a piece of them because it's so watered down. So I think it's even more of a reason to just rely on the data and go into who's fitting the profile of these long hitters, that proximity, and there's no other kind of – there's nothing else to look at because it's just mediocre golfers in the field. I, I don't have the ability to pull up comments. I think what Zach Jeffers just said is a very interesting comment uh, that also needs to be discussed. Anytime that you put a course on water – uh, wind comes into play specifically in the afternoon. You're going to see it no matter how benign the conditions look at any point there. So I did run and, and I think that's maybe more of a showdown answer or an in-tournament head-to-head perspective. Like strokes gained in the wind is something that I'm going to run every single night. Uh, I'm going to look at tee times and I'm going to throw that into my model to figure out where players should fit. But I think that's probably the one step of the equation that I didn't mention that at least needs to be talked about. Wind will play at least somewhat of a factor here. Well, there you have it. 
Uh, we are drafting tonight. So we'll do, I'm going to pull the draft board up. Um, it's going to be a three-man draft. Um, most of you have seen the three-man draft, but in case you haven't, um, to break it down for you, it's pretty simple. It's just going to be three of us drafting. Um, let me pull up the draft board. Um, it's the same thing, snake style. I'm going to go first, but second audience, you're going to get two on the wheel. You do have to stay within your drafting salary. So you can't just take all the best players. You have to make sure you can afford each one of your picks. Um, I'll pull the draft board overlay on here as well. With the first pick, I'm going to go ahead and take Tony Fina. Um, I'll be honest about my logic. I might not be that overweight to Fina this week in GPPs, large field competitions. It's hard to avoid him in anything cash or small tournament related. It's hard to envision Fino not having a good result. At 12K, depending on how you build your roster, yes, because of the 5K pricing, you can get more unique. But I feel like he kind of has to get you like a top two to three finish to pay off that price tag in this field. I do think he can easily do that. Uh, but in a big GPP, you know, that's it's a small window for that to be successful. In a cash or tournament, you know, an eighth or ninth place at Fino will still be fine. So, I really like him. That's him. This is a three-man draft, so he makes sense here for me. Obviously, clearly the best player in the field, Spence. What's your take on Finau this week, and, and who are you looking at for the, with your first pick? I think it's a good segue into the pick that I'm going to make. So, I, in my opinion, it's I think if you're building a model where Tony Finau is not the favorite, and this isn't necessarily given, just because the sports books put Tony Finau as the favorite, that doesn't mean Tony Finau should be the favorite, but... I think if you're building a model where Tony Finau is not the projected favorite, you need to restart the model. You're doing something wrong there. So um, the only negative that I would say is that putter has gone beyond ice cold. The ball striking looks incredible, but Finau continues to be one of the worst putters on tour. Uh, we've seen that within five feet. We've seen that between five to 10 feet. He's just missing everything every single day. And it hasn't turned around now for what appears to be months. So um for me, when I was trying to figure out the optimal route that I wanted to go, I put myself in this position where I thought Nikolai Hoygaard at $1,300 cheaper presented a lot of that upside that you want to look for, whether you look for the distance off the tee or the weighted proximity. And then on top of that, you get a player who's actually a better putter than Finau. So if you can fit in all the steps of the equation and, and Finau's putter is the thing that's really taking me away from him, if I can find a salary not that 10,700 is a quote unquote salary saver, but compared to Finau, it is there. I don't think the win equity difference between those two is quite as much as the public perception. I think Hoygaard has massive upside, whether that's for this event or even moving forward. I've talked about this a couple times this week, but when I ran my full season model and that just took a basic encapsulation of everything, ran it from like a rudimentary standpoint to look at all courses rather than one specific event. Hoygaard was a top 15 player in the world for me. We don't view him that way for this particular tournament. He is going to be viewed as the second favorite, but I think this is a youngster with immense talent. And uh, we talk about this a lot, Joel. I, I know you and I always are trying to find those youngsters where the market might just be a little bit off on them. I know he's $10,700. I, I would not be shocked that if we look at this 12 months from now, that we don't find out that Hoygaard was every bit as good a female, even at this particular moment. I think Hoygaard's a really interesting pick. I like Hoygaard this week, so I definitely endorse that pick. Um, and I think that the top that off, like he's one of those guys that like 
for me, would have been my highest owned player if he was in the 9K range or 9,500. Like, he's playing well. He's in recent good form. He's been playing against PGA competition recently and, and getting good results. Um, I love Hoygaard this week. The, the challenge with Hoygaard is it's, you know, you, you kind of got to pick one of these guys at the top to really make these lineups work. I guess you could really make it work. You go to Stars and Scrubs, but it's really hard to play Finau and Hoygaard and make a, a roster work. So, um, but I, I actually agree with you. I, I, I can see a world where Hoyer beats Fina this weekend. He could win this tournament. So I, I can definitely, I like that pick and I'm definitely behind it. Audience, great job getting your pick in. Love the speed. Um, the first pick is locked in here and it is Pendrith. Um, who, you know, when I rent, like, and I don't put full stock in my model. I just kind of use it to give me a guide. But when I put one together this week, Pendrith ended up being the number one guy in it. So if you're looking for someone who has some of those distances that you're looking for, the proximity, um, Pendrith checks those boxes. And he's, you know, a 1000 to $2,000 cheaper than our first pick. So um, there's a lot I liked about Pendrith this week. My one concern with him might be ownership. It looks a little high um, for the purposes of this week, but I like the talent in this field. How about you, Spence? So I think what the audience did, and I agree with you, I worry a little bit about the ownership, but I think if you take the two picks and the second pick is going to be Theorborn Olison there, I think you all of a sudden sudden find your pivot and your leverage there with Olison. Uh, he's arguably too high priced, Olison, that is where he's at, but he's going to be a sub 10% golfer. He's inside the top 10 of my model. I, I tend to think that as a community, we place too much weight on what the difference is between the 12th golfer and the fourth golfer, like Olison, yes, is marginally overpriced, but this is not a situation to where my math thinks he should have been $7,000. Like he's a couple hundred dollars overpriced in reality and has no ownership around it. So I think this is a savvy start to a lineup from the audience. If you're getting uh ultra contrarian in a GPP while starting with a lot of chalk at the top still. I agree. I think the Olison pick is really smart, especially with the ownership advantage you're getting he's been playing great internationally i think there's a lot of upside with him to get two guys that have upside under that top tier pricing range you know getting a little bit of savings i think the audience is off to a really good start here um all right spence you started with Hoygaard. how are you following up with your second pick here <clears throat> so i'm going to go with a chalk option here and at some point i'm going to have to differentiate this build a little bit but i, I thought there was a golfer here at 7100 that is probably the best value on the board. And, and if we were just looking at this from a bomb and gouge perspective, and that was the only singular item that I was looking towards, that would be one thing to look into. But I just thought it was too intriguing to ignore this profile for Sam Stevens at 7,100 when we also got an extremely informed golfer who's going to excel with his long iron proximity. So one of the things I did in my model, and I did it, and this isn't even something that's put into my model as a weight. I was just trying to figure out what happened when I did it. When I took an equal weight for distance off the tee and proximity from 175 plus yards, there were essentially six players that graded exponentially higher than everybody else. One of them I'm going to save right now and not say just because it's limited data, data sample size on the player I have, but intriguing to note nonetheless. Uh, the other ones would be Hoygaard, Tony Finau, a, a couple of the other names at the top. But the, the one intriguing thing there is with Sam Stevens fitting into that. I think if you look at some of these sharper markets, he opened at 90 to one to win this contest. He has plummeted in the outright market. Like I've seen him at some of these sharper books at 50 to one, 55 to one. 
Um, I had him at 52 to one being proper. I think this is a really nice course setup for Stevens to find success. I know there's going to be a lot of ownership, but uh, this isn't also like your prototypical low $7,000 chalk range to me. We have a different build at this point where there's $5,000 golfers. So uh, I feel like there's still a way to mix and match. And I think the profile of Stevens was just far too enticing to ignore. I mean, yeah, there's a lot to like about Steven. I, the, I guess my only issue with it is that a lot of people are seeing that the ownership looks high, but it's very high. Uh, yes, he, he certainly makes sense, especially at 71. He does to me seem a bit underpriced, so it's a good way to kind of follow up with with your first pick more at the top of the salary range and balance that out. Um, but Steven will be someone that I think a lot of people are playing for good reason. It's just it, he's an obvious salary saver that has some upside in this field. Um, all right, I got two here. Uh, and I'm going to start with, I hope I don't butcher his name too much, but a guy I've been all over, a guy I really like. I know um, where this is going. <laughs> I like Heisatune. I mean, he's been, he's been really good. I mean, and and it's not new. I mean, he's been playing internationally. He's been really good. Um, and then this year, even on, on, on the PGA tour, he's been playing great. And I haven't really, um, he hasn't given me a reason not to play him in it. There's going to be people that look at him and are really going to go very gung ho on the distance, and they're going to say he's not the longest driver, so they might not make their player pool. But his proximities are above average for this field. Yeah, he didn't make the cut at the Phoenix Open, so that might scare some people off. Before that, um, T33 at the Farmers, T11 at the American Express, 30th at the, at the Sony Open, a top 10 at the Zozo. So he's been playing at a much higher level. At 9,200, I think it's a fair pricing. I think he has plenty of upside. And I'm going to pair him with uh, Jonathan Vegas with my next pick. Um, you know, and we saw Vegas has been a mixed a mixed bag in terms of what we're getting from. There's been questions about whether he's fully recovered from his injury. But we saw Vegas start to show some signs at the Phoenix Open with a T22. And you know distance is not going to be his problem. That's his strength. So if you're looking for bombers, you're going to get that from Vegas. And at only 7,600, he's another guy who I feel like is, is going to be a really good salary saver who's just as much upside as some of these guys in the 8 and 9K range. The issue with Vegas, similar to Stevens, is he does look chalky and, and over-owned for what I would like. But um, I think this is one of those tournaments where you're going to have to play some of your chalk spots and just get different with some of your other plays. And that, that's what I'll plan to do here. Uh, Spence, what are your thoughts on Heisatune and Vegas and who are you going with your third pick? I have to say, Joel, this is like, I took a week off of the show. This is an amateur hour draft for me. Um, I, I also don't know how to say his name. I, I think it's Hisatsune. Okay. Um, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I might be butchering it myself there, but I, I don't know in what world that you have taken him. I mean, how many times have you taken him at this point? Like, he's probably played every event that he's been in. You've had him. That, that's just amateur hour that I didn't take him. I really like him this week. I agree with that sentiment. He's a very intriguing pivot spot because everybody's going to look at that, you know, quote-unquote lack of distance that he's bringing to the table and kind of want to remove him. The weighted proximity looks great. The weighted scoring in my model was number one. I think this is a spot where we keep talking about young players with upside. Rio, we'll call him that for the sake of this show. Rio has all that upside. Like he may be the best youngster that's not named Oberg or Hoygaard in the world right now. And I and I don't think that that's necessarily thought of by the public. So uh, I really like that pick. I agree. The Vegas thing is is quite an interesting dynamic there. 
two weeks ago, I bet him at 450 to one to win a golf tournament. Now he's 60 to one to win after not even landing any of my top 10 or, or 20 bets that I had. So uh, I think it's a great course fit for him. I think the stats look great. Uh, the price tag is probably a little bit too cheap based off of what it is. I, I like both of those two picks. And I think that while you do have ownership with Vegas, you have some of that leverage that's created with Rio there. So I, I think that's a very nice start on your end. Uh, I am trying to scramble right now. To change. While you scramble. Okay, perfect. You weren't going to get 450 to one on Vegas. No. Or really on anyone in this tournament. So I think the pricing was, it was more of a, the tournament you were betting him on versus his talent. Right. Uh, but to your, in your, to your point, there were concerns and, you know, he was coming back from injury. We hadn't seen him fully back. I think he's, he's now starting to show signs. I'm still not fully convinced that he's fully back. I think he's showing signs. But we'll see what happens this week. And even if he has a good result this week, again, it's a watered down field. So there's still more work to be done, um, but it certainly has the upside of this field. So worth taking a shot on for me at 7,600. I agree. So I'm going to move us forward in the draft. Uh, not exactly what I was planning to do. Don't know what my general strategy is right now, Joel, if I'm being honest, but I'm going to dip into the 6,000s. I'm going to take a golfer that I have limited stats on, but it's another one of these situations that we keep pointing towards of youngsters with upside that maybe have more upside than the price tag would indicate. I'm going to take Parker Cootie at 6,500. Um, to me, it appears like a ball striking course that at least reduces putting returns would help out Cootie. He was inside the top 10 of this field for me with that limited data that I ran for both driving and approach numbers outside the top 90 for putting. I think with all the question marks that we're getting from this field top to bottom, I really didn't mind taking a long shot sort of a weight or uh, DFS play here at the $6,500 price tag. Like somebody is going to make a massive statement of one of these youngsters. doesn't mean that they even win the contest. And I don't even need Cootie to win this contest, but somebody's going to make one of those big moves to where they start working themselves into more of the elevated events or moving themselves up the FedEx Cup standings. I think Cootie's just far too cheap at this price tag right now. Um, to me, this is one of those spots to where if we didn't move this down into the $5,000 section for golfers, I think Cootie probably lands in the sevens. He was almost a victim of where the pricing landed, which is a benefit for me if I like the upside that he possesses. So I'll take him and then try to figure out how I want to go with this build from there now that uh, Rio is not an option. So let me ask you, are the Cootie boys twins? I believe so. I mean, and I think Parker's better than Pearson uh, from what I'm able to gather from, at least from a numerical standpoint when I ran my model. I thought Pearson was a, I mean... The upside was great for him. The downside wasn't. He was 80th in my model. Parker was the one that just popped, though, in all the ways of what I was trying to run this for. And it's really just that ball striking return that we're talking about. When I said that there was one player that ranked inside the top six when I added those two categories together that I just talked about, and I didn't have sample size that I necessarily trusted, Parker Cootie was that name. So um, I, I'm willing to bet on the upside here. I, I don't know where the ownership is going to trend. I, I do see it trickling upwards, which is, I guess, a little bit scary that now there's a potential where there's three chalk plays in this build with two of them being super cheap. But uh, I'll trust my math on it. Yeah. And again, I wouldn't be scared. You can play multiple chalky plays. As long as you get different elsewhere, you play one guy at 
one percent or something like that. That makes up for it. So I think it's how you go about your ownership picture. It doesn't have to be a there's no specific formula you have to go by. So I'm totally good at and talk about upside. Like these are the Cootie brothers are kids that have been talked about. These were kids that are coming up. From everything I've read and heard about them, their time is coming. This does seem like a spot for one of them to kind of break through in a weaker field, give them an opportunity to shine. So I definitely think I like the risk um with the upside that you're taking on there. All right, audience, again, quick to get your picks in. Love it and appreciate the work here. Uh, Spence, correct me if I'm wrong. It looks like the first pick to me is Michael Kim. And the I would, yes. second pick is Davis Thompson? Yeah, that's what I see. All right. Um, both guys are on my radar. I wouldn't have gotten both either one in this draft because of the way it's shaken out for me thus far. But both guys are guys I was looking at. Both guys I had flagged. Um I think it's a good start for the end with, with a, a more balanced approach to the draft. Um, Spence, what say you on both Kim and Thompson? I, I think Thompson's price is even arguably a little bit too cheap. I, I know that that might be a, a bold statement to say there with him being 8,900, but uh, he's ball striking it better than almost anybody in the wor- world. Like a, another supremely talented young golfer who has shown immense upside early in his career. I think it's a nice spot for him. I tend to think Michael Kim is probably a better cash game play than a GPP target, but at that price tag and even at the ownership that I'm seeing right now, you could go a lot worse than that. Like, I mean, he's a top 20 player in my model. That's priced as a little bit of a value. Just uh, he shot with better trajectory for safety for me. You, I mean, I will say you've been talking about Davis Thompson now for several weeks and I know you like his upside. I would agree at 8,900. He's someone that I would like to play especially for if you're making a build like the audience is where you're kind of being a little bit more balanced and not as top heavy. I think that this, this kind of build makes a ton of sense. So I like the start for the audience here. Um, Spence, you got one more here. You got plenty of money left to spend. Who are you targeting with your fourth pick? Joel, we turned this into a three person draft and I became the chalk of all chalk with all these picks, just <laughs> one after the next, after the next. I'm going to go with Carson Young at 7,400. It's kind of a very similar sentiment that I had with Sam Stevens. I do think Stevens has more upside. Uh, There's also a potential here that Young might just be a better cash game play than he is a GPP target. It might be the same answer that I gave for Michael Kim, just at a smaller uh, price tag that we're getting here. But my model really liked him inside the top 17 of all ways that I ran it. He came 15th here in 2023. The recent form is trending in the right direction. And Third in my model when I ran a strokes gained total and I mimicked it for this course and strokes gained off the tee here. So uh, that was a massive jump for Carson Young. I I just kind of tend to think that the public's on him. I understand that, but I think rightfully so in this spot. I think it's a nice spot for Carson Young. Um, I'm disappointed because I had him penciled in for my next pick. So um, good pick. I am on him. To your point, Carson is the type of guy that, one, the proximities look good. So, like, this is, seems like a course that, that will work. But he tends to pop and then get you some some really big results. I think at a kind of resort course in Mexico, um, I think this could be a really sneakily good spot for him to get another good resort on a wear downfield. At 7,400, I think he brings plenty of upside. So, I am definitely behind the young pick as well. Um, I got two. I'm a little bit of a scramble because I, I was going to take Young there. So I'm going to go in a different direction because I have to. Um, and I'm going to take with my first pick. I, I'm not even going to try and say his first name, but I'll just call him Eskin. Um, 
And he's kind of a similar profile to me as Young. He's the type of guy that, that pops a lot. You'll see him have those big weeks. Um, and the proximities look good. You get him at you know a, a more than affordable price here at under 8K. He excels at that 200-plus proximity yardage. And his last five events, he's gotten you a T30. He missed a cut of the Indian Express, but T50 at the Farmers, T31 at, the, at, at Pebble Beach, T28 at Phoenix Open. And majority of the guys finishing ahead of him in those events aren't playing in this event. So I think he has plenty of upside here at, at under 8Ks. Um, and in addition, my second pick here, I'm going to take uh, MJ Duffy, who uh, the South African – Form has been pretty bad. Um, but if you're looking for a guy with the distances, he, he certainly brings that here. He's a bomber. You're getting him under 6K. So this is my my first pick that I'm actually taking that's less than 6K. I think this is a week where he can show up and actually give us um, a really solid week. You know, you will see a bunch of missed cuts for him recently. But if you actually look a little closer, he's getting 70, 71. Like he's not playing terrible golf. I think in a little bit of an easier course, he could show up and, and get some low scores. So, Spence, I'll ask you, are either of those two on your radar this week? I've seen some sharp money enter the market for Kim, so you might be on to something with him. Uh, Duffy's the intriguing one here. So, I thought there were, and this isn't going to come. I mean, these are now $5,000 golfers we're talking about. There's a reason why they're priced in this range. I thought Duffy. I thought Max Geiserman. I thought Chandler Phillips. If you are throwing random darts down in this section, those are probably the three names that I would do it with. Duffy has massive upside in my sheet. I worry a little bit about the floor that we've talked about. There's a lot of miscut potential that's going to come into play, but strong win player that's been excelling in some of these reweighted totals that would fit Vedanta for me. Uh, the par four scoring in general ranked eighth overall. So I think that's a very intriguing return for this course. He was inside the top 25 for weighted scoring. This might just be a course for Duffy where he can find immense upside here. So uh, one of the biggest movers when we're talking about a ceiling versus a floor, but for a $5,000 plus golfer there, that's what I want to find. Like I want to shoot for the moon specifically in these GPP contests and try to find some of these guys that if they pop and they come in the top 10, that's where I'm taking down these GPPs at the end of the day. There you have it. I love it. Um, Spence, you got two and you really still, and again, you don't have to spend all your money, but you have it to spend. Who are you looking at here with your fourth or fifth pick? I mean, this is once again, not the optimal game theory route when I'm looking at your guys' salaries and we'll just chalk this up to being a week off of the show. And I'm not making necessarily the optimal picks here, but I'll jump to the top. I'll just get the guy that I want. I don't know where I want to go for the second pick at this point. Uh, I should be. I guess I, I mean, I guess I'm fine either way with it, the way that this is built, but I'll take Steven Yeager at 9,800. I, I think Yeager, from what we've seen from him over the last year, he's at a distance off the tee. He's excelling in all the areas from where you would want to see for this tournament. You look at his course history that he's put together, back-to-back -to -back top 18 finishes. At some point, I really think Yeager is going to win a tournament. I know at the Farmers, that was the, his event to lose, and he ended up losing it. It's kind of the age-old like narrative with him that he hadn't put himself in contention enough to actually win one of these, and by the first time he got into contention, he pissed all over his leg would be like the nicest way to say it, I guess. like Things just went wrong for him. I think you put him in a contention enough times, and he's a Corn Ferry winner. He's won a ton of times on the Corn Ferry Tour. I, I think when he gets into contention at some point, the pieces will get put together. 
Um, for me, the top three players in price should have been Finau one, Hoygaard two, Jaeger three. So with him being the what eighth, seventh player in price, I think you're getting a little bit of a value discount there at 9,800. I mean, <laughs> excuse me. Um, I mean, Jaeger's definitely a guy who can pop. He should be a really good course fit. Um, if you're, yeah, exactly. You want to get a Jaeger bomb. I think he totally makes sense. Um, and 9,800, I think I, of the guys up in that range, I think the ownership looks okay. So I can definitely endorse that pick. But with one left, I will have to shame you on your draft strategy because I know we have left. I guess it doesn't matter because either way you're getting who you wanted. So I guess yeah. I take it back. It didn't matter at all because you're getting who you want either way. Uh, audience, you got two. Um, not as quick as you were last time. So we're, we're going to have to get those doubles in. Um, while we wait for the audience to get their nominations in Spence, uh, without giving anything away, and I guess you know we can look at the top of the board because there's only so much money left. Is there anyone thus far that did not get drafted that you're surprised about? Um, I mean, do you want me to answer that of a player with a lot of ownership that I'm surprised didn't get drafted or somebody that I think should have been drafted? Either or both. Okay, so of a player that I'm surprised didn't get drafted and and this is only because of where I see the ownership, I'm very proud of everybody for not going this route with it. Uh, Brandon Wu, I, there's a ton of popularity because of the course history. I think that that's just bad chalk at the end of the day. Like I will let that course history answer beat me. I, I don't think that at a course where there's no rollover predictability, that's exactly what I want to be shooting for. So I, I'm happy that nobody bit on that one. Of a golfer that I think should have been drafted that has not been. I, I mean, I, I do think that at the very top, a name like Thomas Dietrich, he may be too expensive. I'm kind of starting to come around to Dietrich a little bit this week. I think there's enough pedigree there where he's kind of in that mix of a Jaeger where there's, there's more storied pedigree than a lot of these names where... Uh, I'm curious to see where the ownership ends up going. Maybe as a secondary answer, I'll say Jake Knapp, just because I know how much everybody always wants to play Knapp every week, and he seems to have a ton of upside to his game. But that would probably be where I'm at right now. Yeah, I think those are plays, all guys that I was was at least on my radar. So I would I would agree with you. Those are the plays that would that I would have considered for that answer as well. The first audience pick is in. We're gonna go with Justin Justin Lower. Um, you know, he's a guy we mentioned on the show, not really on my radar this week, but I can certainly see the upside, especially you're dipping down that low. Um, well, I'm going to ask for Spence's opinion on that pick. If we don't have a double, but after that, I'm going to have to just pick the last player for the audience. So get someone in Spence. Are you at all on lower this week? I think he's a good value. I think he's probably one of the better values in that lower $6,000 section. Not a ton of ownership around him. The current form has been very solid over the last handful of months. I, I think when you look at what he's putting together, he's a very interesting pick down that low. Yeah. Looking closer. He has made four cuts um, in a row uh, all in 2024. You know, his ball striking has been above average. So, all right, there you have it. I think it's a, a good pick there. Audience, you're too slow on your last pick. You're going to have to be assigned. And since Bramlett was mentioned, I would say it's either Bramlett or Chan Kin because those were the two names mentioned. Um, oh, Victor Perez came into last second. All right, Victor Perez, it is that they got it in at by the skin of their teeth. Uh, 
Before we move off the pick, Spence, are you playing Victor Perez all this week? I'm probably not. I I probably would have preferred the Joseph Bramlett play. I think Bramlett has really intriguing upside for a tournament like this because of his distance and long iron proximity. Uh, Bramlett will definitely be in my player pool, um, a name that I eventually did not get to just with the way that this build got put together. But uh, Bramlett for me is somebody that I'm going to be looking to get exposure to. Well, there you have it. You got one more pick. You got plenty of money. You don't have to take them, but you can. Are you going to take them with your last pick? I almost wanted to put myself in a position where I left an exorbitant amount of money on the table. Thought that would be a fun way to go about this. Um, I'm going to go this, what I guess I would think is the safer route here. I think Nate Lashley could be considered at 7,700 if, if really throwing darts down there and shooting for upside. I could go really low and take a pick like Bramlett um, and just leave a ton of money on the table. But I'll go a little bit safer, I'll, and I, just because there's not a lot of ownership there to begin with from what I can see right now. I'll take Austin Eckroad at 8000 leave 500 bucks on the table. I think that makes it enough of a different build than really. I mean, I think that $500 I'm leaving on the table makes it unique enough there. Uh, Model had him inside the top 15, kind of just flat across the board. Nothing necessarily massively popped for me, but a lot of consistent marks inside of the top 40 just from pick after pick after pick inside of the categories. So um, I, I think Eckroat's safe. You could make an argument that that's a better cash game play, which now I have two of those in this build. You know, that's kind of the downside here. But I guess in a three-person contest, which is not necessarily what I'm trying to build for, I, I think Ekrot still makes sense in GPPs. There you have it. I, I, listen, it's, it's almost impossible to build lineups this week without feeling like at least at least one of your picks is a little gross. Like you, you just can't have a six-man super high-confident roster in this field. So. Um, and you know, I, I don't even think Eckroyd's really that growth. I think Eckroyd makes sense. I just, you know, my, my gripe with Eckroyd is I think he's a little overpriced for what he does, even in this field. Uh, but I certainly can understand it. And I do think there's some upside there. So, um, makes sense to me. I'm going to talk you guys through my last pick. I, I was on the fence between JJ Spawn and Matt Wallace in this last spot. Who I was going to go with, I'm going to go with Matt Wallace. Um, we've seen Matt Wallace showing the ability to get hot, uh, get a hot putter. And we've seen, especially in these weaker field tournaments, he's held on and, and held a lead and competed. So this just seems like a good spot for him, for, for Wallace. I think he can be, it's not a pick I love was my last pick, but he's a guy that I feel like has some upside, especially when we go after a GPP. I think he might make sense in his last spot. So that's a wrap for this draft. Please do us a favor, hit the like button. Uh, give us a follow. It goes a long way. Don't forget to sign up for Win Daily. We will be posting um, weather updates. Steven's ownership article will come out tomorrow. Take a look at that. It will help you before you build your final rosters going into Thursday. And, of course, we'll drop some, some additional plays and outrights in Discord as well. Before we wrap up tonight, um, I'm going to pull the draft board down, and we are going to give you our first-round leader plays. Um we only have a few. We'll, we'll, get, we'll be quick and get you guys out of here. Spence, I'll start with you. Who are you looking at in the first round leader market this week? So, Joel, it's one of those weeks where I have not completely taken a full dive into this. I, I do think that it's important to what Zach talked about. The morning wave is going to have an advantage, so I would want it to be somebody who's in the morning. I, I will run those numbers. I, I'll post it into the Discord over at uh, Win Daily when I have a couple picks there. But uh, 
You can tell me who you have this week. All right, I'll get us started. I, I, I'm going to put three plays out there. For me, this feels like a week to go after some long shots. I mean, it kind of feels like it's pretty wide open, especially in a first-round leader play. So I'm going to start with my own draft pick, 100-1, to MJ Duffy. For one round, I think there's plenty of upside, especially there. So um, I am seeking a 100-1 to type player here because this is the week I feel like you can do that. Um, I also like J.J. Spawn, who I didn't end up drafting at 80-1. to And my last first-round leader play, I'm going to go with Garrick Higo at 70-1. to I'll I'll throw one out very quickly of a name that I do think is somewhat intriguing. Uh, Doug Gim is going to go out in the morning as the... uh, He's in what? The first group, it looks like, on, on one of the sides. I think Gim is the type of player with his ball striking that he can catch fire early in the morning um, on those greens. I'll go with Doug Gim as my one singular selection for the show. I think that's about at 60, 65 to one, depending on where, but uh, I'll go with Gim as my, as my one choice here. I like Gim. Gim is, I would add as someone, I was surprised they didn't get drafted, Um, but Gim has been playing well. He's got some upside. I think Gim is a, is a good sneaky play. I also think Gim is in play for, for DFS purposes this week as well. Um, let us know. We'll post these. Let us know who you think is going to win. Vote on it. We do track them. We'll come back next week. We will crown our winner and we will draft again. Good luck this week. And of course, sports. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks. That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.